0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Alex Edelman. I used to find stuff on the internet to make myself cry. I used to cry sturbate. <laughs> that and more, but first I want to remind you guys we always want you to pitch us your anecdotes. Those are those really short stories, only about three and a half minutes or four and a half minutes tops. A great way to take a stab at storytelling, but in a bite-sized way, because for these mini-stories, we suggest you focus on just one incident, like a moment you got caught in extreme weather, or a morning something super mysterious happened, but you immediately figured out the mystery, or a time you told a lie that instantly backfired, or a night someone misunderstood you and it all resulted in hilarity. Check out the little video I posted about this, inviting you guys to send us your anecdotes on Twitter, and facebook and instagram all those places we're at risk show and get on over to the submissions page at risk-show.com slash submissions to send those anecdotes our way hey i'm brett podolsky Hello kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Jefferson Airplane. Behind me now, we're calling this week's episode Heartache. Three stories with laughs, but very heartachey moments moments. Two, oh my gosh, I will tell you that this weekend I had a breakup. I had a relationship. to end someone i love very much but it wasn't working and i don't think i've ever been quite this emotional about a breakup before i mean this was just a whole weekend of crying and journaling and looking back at old messages and i think it's going to take me a while to process all this One of the things I have been thinking is that we talk a lot about how this show, you'll hear a story on this show, and someone will say something that's like very insightful or or strikes you as, oh my God, that's the attitude to have about that, or just something that really just sticks out for you and you remember it. But I think there might be something to be said about if you listen to lots and lots of risk over the years, you might not remember specific stories, but you keep hearing from people who found the wisdom, found the strength, found the creativity to turn the steering wheel out of what seemed like insurmountable or overwhelming circumstances and just found the wherewithal to make a change. I think that might unconsciously affect me. It feels like my psyche has just become a little wiser in an almost unconscious way from hearing so many people's stories of transcending things. And you know, whenever I feel, destroyed by something whenever I feel like cut up by something I think to myself what can I do that's creative or productive in response to like uh, doing something good out of the ashes of of this what I'm dealing with and and what I what it it occurred to me to say on the show if there are kinky gay men out there male-identified people who play or have sex or romance with other male-identified people and are kinky. And you're interested in exploring how we can better communicate, how we can better put down boundaries in our relationships, how we can be more emotionally intelligent about how we navigate relationships or just hookups or whatever, email me. Kevin at dot showcom because I'm really interested in starting to have conversations with other kinky gay men who just want to talk about these issues because I think there's a lot to be gained from sharing with one another about it okay now we do have a fantastic show today in a little bit we're gonna hear from Teresa Okokin <laughs> whose story is about exactly what I just finished talking about, but from a woman's perspective. But before that, we're going to hear from Alex Edelman, the hilarious Alex Adelman. Now, this is going back a couple of years. Uh, I think this is 2018 when this was recorded in Los Angeles at a risk show This might have been back when we were at the bootleg. Anyway, here is Alex. Now you can find him on Twitter at Alex Edelman with a story we call Shouting into the Ether.
1: I don't like sharing, or people who share. I don't like yeah. Oh wow. Uh, I don't like it because I think we've reduced it. I think we've reduced certain things to currencies now, and this is a story that's sort of about social media, but not at all. I have certain pals in social media, like I'm, I, I assume you do, who share. Incessantly, there's a guy whose real name will have to be redacted, but his real name is (laughs) and I've met him three times and because of Facebook, I know more about him than I know about my own father. If you asked me to describe my own father, you'd be like... Wow, the guy he's described, like, you'd think I was, like, a rookie FBI agent and my dad was, like, a very elusive criminal. (laughs) I'd be like, he was born in Boston sometime in the 1960s, and the last good photo we have of him is from, like, a family vacation in Panama 10 years ago. But because of (laughs) his Facebook post, I know that he feels like he was born in the wrong body. Um, He... Uh, struggles uh, with feelings of of like hate for his neighbors and uh, he I'll never forget this sentence that his baseline emotional level is quite painful (laughs) and that's just a person I don't know and he's shouting it into the ether for everybody and it's it's fine because I actually used to go to the internet for emotion I used to find stuff on the internet to make myself cry. I used to cry (laughs) And my favorite genre of video to cry at was um, soldier surprising his child at professional baseball game. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? This is a genre of video. Every I have Chet. Every single major league team, except for those unpatriotic shitheads at the Detroit Tigers, (laughs) have arranged for a child to be surprised by a father who they thought was still on a tour of Afghanistan. And I try not to think too hard about the logistics of the fact that a father will hide the fact that he is actually stateside for a number of hours, so his child's who has been invited to throw out the ceremonial first pitch can turn to find out at the exact same moment that 33,000 other people find out that his father is actually no longer in Kabul and, like, coming... And so, like, I used to love those videos so much because, like, the dad comes out of the dugout onto the field and the kid is there and he turns around and it's a baseball and The only way it could be more American is that the dad was holding, like, two guns in both hands and had, like, a bald eagle on his shoulder. And, like... And it used to do it for me. Those videos used to just totally, bam, but like, like beginning of Gladiator, like just go, I'm just like, go But like now, now those, vi- like I really have to like, I feel like I, there's, the internet's not enough anymore because the in- like everything has risen, even Facebook has risen to that level of banal like uh, I'm sorry that level where it's reduced it's really emotional to banal and now I don't even get misty-eyed when I see those videos unless I imagine like something really sad like when the dad leans over to hug the kid he whispers in his ear like I killed so many people over there <laughs> or like your mother would be so proud if she were still alive but like <laughs> all right sorry um, my girlfriend has a, I promise you, this is all related, my girlfriend is a nine-year-old's daughter, uh, which I highly recommend, especially if you love the Greatest Showman soundtrack more than you love your own sanity. (laughs) Uh, My girlfriend's daughter, her name is Violet. She is absolutely wonderful, but she's been raised by a single mother. And since we started dating, she, uh, her mother has done quite well. So you know, like in *Richie Rich*, when like Richie Rich all of a sudden has a bunch of money, and they're just like, bam! There's so much like kid shit around. That's what it's like in this house. Like My girlfriend's daughter has everything, every toy, every piece of clothing. My girlfriend's, and I'm sure you're like, well, it's not like she has a pony or anything. She has a pony. My girlfriend's daughter bought her a pony and she called me and she's like, is it spoiling Violet if I get her a pony? I'm like, that's the cartoon definition of spoiling Violet. But I'm okay with the pony because one day it may be the relationship that like hold, like the glue that holds our family together and like, but so, you guys are really gonna have to toughen up. I'm fucking not kidding. But I'm over at my girlfriend's uh, house. They live in London, and uh, it's my birthday, and I have a fight with my girlfriend and her daughter because the problem is, children hate inconsistency. And when you're in a long-distance relationship, I live in the states here. My they live overseas. My girlfriend's daughter has a very fair sense of like. Who the fuck is this guy <laughs> who's here, who sees us twice a month, when we're, once when we're there, once when he's here, and he's just like around, and one night I'm sleeping with my mom in her bed, and the next night I'm banished to my own room with only my pony for comfort.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like, sometimes she's quite spicy with me. And like, it's hard to know how to react to a nine-year-old who you're competing with for space sometimes. And like, you can't react like it said someone your age. Like, I was getting a ball out of a tree on a ladder and she kicked the ladder. And I went, Violet, and this is the only time I've ever cursed. I went, Violet, don't be a bitch. <laughs> and she ran off and got her mom. And her mom looks up at me on the ladder. She's like, did you call Violet a bitch? I'm like, yes, but we're ignoring the attempted murder. <laughs> and there are many other examples, but in the interest of time, it's the morning of March 20th. I have a fight with, I have a fight with Violet. Fight Violet and I get on the train to the airport to go to Heathrow, feeling pretty unhappy. And 24 children, all wearing those like high visibility crossing guard vests, get on the train. And never have those kind of vests been less important. Because as soon as they got on the train, everyone on the train knew that they were there. <laughs> they were screaming, they were yelling, they are pulling food out of strangers' hands. And like, everyone's like, these land piranhas are just like, they're swarming through the train. No one needed the vest. One kid climbs into the seat next to me. And by the way, the seat wasn't empty, it was occupied. He literally climbs into <laughs> someone's lap and he looks at me and he goes, hi! My name's Leo, my favorite color's green, my favorite football team is Arsenal. And I look back at him and I'm like, hi, because I'm feeling terrible. I just had a fight with a nine-year-old and now one is screaming in my face. And as you know, I don't love oversharing anyway. And so I said, hi, my name's Alex. My favorite food is raisins. And my baseline emotional level is quite painful at the moment. Because Leo's gotta know that sharing with strangers is a two-way street. And he starts talking to me. He says, sees my luggage, he says, where are you going? Instead of saying the airport, for some reason I went, Terminal 5. As if Leo was going to be like, oh, you're flying British Airways? It's good that you're flying British Airways. I've got a new dedicated terminal. for." But like, I'm like, yeah, lounge access. I've flown quite a bit. It's the reason an eight-year-old in a Greatest Showman t-shirt yelled at me this morning. But but Leo says... uh, you're flying? I said, yeah. He said, where? I said, America. He's like, is that where you live? Yeah. How old are you? I'm 20, I'm 20, uh, 29. And he said, in how many days? And only children and really, really old people care about that. Like really old people. Not like your grandparents, old, like, like, like someone who's like, I'm 101 and 27 days, and if a woman in
0: France chokes on a bagel, I'm in the top 10.
1: I said, I'm 29 and zero days. And he said, today's your birthday? And I said, yes. And he said, that's really sad. And I said, why is it sad? And he said, because you're going to the airport. And you have no one to sing happy birthday to you. So I, I, I was about to go, thank you very much, Leo, for putting such a fine point on that. And Leo, without even looking around to make sure that there's someone to join in, just goes, hey! Happy birthday! And twenty three other small children wearing crossing guard vests are like, oh, someone's singing happy birthday. I guess we're all singing happy birthday. They all start singing happy birthday to me. Happy birth and they don't know my name by the way, except for Leo. So one kid gets to the third line of happy birthday, goes, Happy birthday, dear tall guy. They finish saying happy birthday. By the way, Londoners are fucking ice cold because not a single person looks up from their phone. They're just like, yeah, the song of children. doesn't make a difference, like whatever, gotta get to work. Like I think they think the blitz is still on or something like that. Like no one smiles, no one looks, but it's nice. Cause I've just had a fight with a child who looks a lot like these kids and they've all just sung happy birthday to me. And I'm on to be like, do what I want. And uh, the teacher, by the way, gives the most British fucking compliment of all time. Like, this is the nicest thing that children can do. Just, like, be kind to a stranger for no reason. And they finish, and this British teacher goes, well done, boys. That was very in-key. And I was like, (laughs) do you want to be a human being for 30 seconds? I'm sitting there, and a kid, not Leo, another kid named Amet, says, uh, just clearly regurgitating what he's heard. He goes, it doesn't take much to make someone smile. <laughs> and then another kid ruins it, because he goes, he's not smiling, he's almost crying. Look at him. <laughs> and by the way, if you're wondering, what does get people in London to look up their phones on a train? There was like, oh, someone's about to cry? <laughs> I don't cry. I get off the train at the next stop, which is not the airport and I cry there on the platform. I get back on the train, go to the airport. I tell two friends, doesn't seem like enough. (laughs) So I fucking tweet it. (laughs) I turn off my phone, I get on the plane, I land, I turn on my phone. I have thousands of notifications. (laughs) I have ruined this nice thing. Because Twitter is like, this is a, mo-. Twitter had made it into a Twitter moment. And so if Twitter, Twitter was like, this is a moment. This is a capital M moment now. It's not a moment. It's ruined. And by the way, there are some like truthers who are like, you were never on a train. You don't even have a birthday. <laughs> you are deathless and timeless. you never had a birthday. And I didn't want to be like, yes, I have. Look at this picture of a child I took on the train. For the first time, I felt like in it in social media. Like every comment felt personal. And I've never felt that way before. Every, con- every happy birthday felt like a night. Nice- thousands of people I never met wishing me happy birthday. It felt like Jesus for like 30 seconds. Because <laughs> the whole world was like, we don't know if you exist, but happy birthday, good for you. And there were like 10, 15 other people who were like, you're a liar, you're awful. Someone went, you call these kids heroes. I said they were heroes, because they had made me feel really good in a moment I wasn't feeling great. And someone went, do you think these kids are on par with our troops? <laughs> and I made a mistake that I got yelled at by my mom for. I wrote back, no, these kids have zero blood on their hands. <laughs> So, these kids were on a field trip to a science museum. They were from a school called the London Fields Primary School. And I know that because the school got in touch and the teacher got in touch. By the way, one more detail about the teacher who must be fucking amazing at her job because all kidding aside, what a nice bunch of kids. But At one point, one of the kids went, do you have a girlfriend? And I said, yes i think so yes and and leo went not one of the other kids leo went that's a shame because miss is quite lonely (laughs) and the teacher was like leo 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 and i could see the expression was like i have got to stop discussing my life with my children she said i'm not lonely i'm just living life on my terms And I started dialoguing with the teacher. We were Facebook messaging back and forth a little bit. And I said, how did the kids feel? And they went, they're thrilled. They've gone viral. <laughs> Although you misspelled Leo's name and he's really upset. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, they were, I said, you guys talked about it in class? And she went, yeah, well, I want to go over some of the negative comments with them, but they have been raised with the internet. So they kind of shrugged it off. It didn't affect them why? Did it affect you at all? And I was like, no. (laughs) Um, I don't like social media. I don't like social media. I think it cheapens... I think it cheapens stuff. But, I will say that if I have to learn a lesson from a nine-year-old and I really don't want to because I live with one part of the time, and I'm very resistant to being, because I'm very wary of people who are like, who do Teach for America or something, and they come back, they're like, I learned just as much from them as they learned from me. And I'm like, you're a math teacher, and they are kids in inner-city Philadelphia. You are a terrible math teacher. <laughs> I will say that when they watched you, it was like, it didn't bother them. Why did it bother you? I said, no it didn't bother me and she went yeah well they get that it's not real and I'm like what do you mean And she's like oh the kids just think that people pick parts of their lives to put out there so that other people see it and think of them in a certain way and I was like the kids thought that (laughs) and she's like yeah well that's pretty obvious isn't it and I was like Absolutely. All right, I'll see you guys later. Thanks so much. I'm Alex We evolved to care about whether other people in our tribe think well of us or not, because it matters. But were we evolved to be aware of what 10,000 people think of us? We were not evolved to have social approval being dosed to us every five minutes that was not
0: at all what we were able to experience
3: we curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in these short-term signals hearts likes thumbs up and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth
0: Please welcome to the virtual stage, Teresa Okoken.
4: Hello, hello. I am sitting in a bar in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is sort of like an LGBTQ resort town. And it is the off-season. It's a rainy and dreary weekend, but I'm spending it with two of my best friends, Anthony and Peter. These two have been in a relationship for years and each of them has like grown and changed throughout that relationship. And then the relationship has like developed and grown and changed to fit them. And their love is one of my most favorite examples of love. They are some of my closest and most trusted friends. And for this reason, um, they are among the few people who know that earlier that summer, I had my first threesome. Now, this was with a cis het married couple who I met on Tinder. And I wasn't looking for a threesome. But when the opportunity and this couple presented themselves, I figured, why not? And eventually, I would come to realize that the first time that I had a threesome with this couple was quite possibly my ideal threesome arrangement. And that is because they were securely attached and in love with each other. They were really good communicators, um, and they had decided, as a pair, to bring in a third to their bedroom. They treated me like a special guest star, and they just lavished all of their attention on me. It was wonderful, as opposed to worser situations where they might treat me like a nameless, faceless, voiceless extra, or worse, like a workhorse. Although I should say that those two variations or situations are worse for me. I won't yuck your yum. (laughs) So maybe you should just try having more threesomes, Anthony suggested. Anthony is a social worker, so he's really good at making observant suggestions and then nodding empathetically. (laughs) I was considering having more threesomes because... You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was sort of like, in this crisis of identity where I wasn't really sure if I was straight or if I was bi. But I wasn't ready to like, be a girl who just wanted threesomes. I was like, doesn't that make me a weirdo or something. But I had started to look around the Google Play Store for threesome specific apps and ask some friends for advice on that. But I hadn't downloaded anything yet. Peter says, You know, you're just figuring yourself out. And what you want now doesn't have to continue to be what you want in the future. And I really, really appreciated this. Because like I said, I was having this crisis that I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. And one of my friends was asking me if having sex with a woman meant that I was bi now. And like, I didn't know what I was supposed to say. Because honestly, up until that point, it had never before occurred to me that being a woman who wants to sometimes have sex with other women meant that I wasn't straight. And I was like... I don't even know what that means. I had never considered myself anything but straight before. But like, who doesn't want to have sex with women? Women are great. (laughs) So I said, maybe I should just try dating other women. And I asked this question out loud to Anthony, to Peter, to myself, to nobody at all. Cause like, it's not like either of them could answer the question for me. And I obviously did not know the answer for myself, but even as I said those words out loud, something inside of me stopped me because I have been that woman many, many, many times over who men are like trying to figure themselves out with and then I end up getting fucked over and they're just using apps like Tinder and OkCupid and Match.com like their own personal life laboratories. And I was like, I just can't do that to another woman. But a couple... Maybe I could do that to a couple if they were secure as a unit with each other. And it's not like I would be pursuing any couples who were legitimately trying to bring in a third to their dynamic. I would only be looking for folks who were, you know, looking for special guest stars who would be temporary. So I went to the Google Play Store again and I downloaded the app and I started chatting with a few different couples and I ended up matching with this couple who lived in a suburb outside of Boston where I was living. They seemed really cool. Like the woman, she was a white woman and she like was kind of like alternative punk and she would dye her hair like electric blue and hot pink all the time. And she was this cool gardener lady. And the guy, well... I mean, he didn't really offer much by way of a personality beyond the fact that he really liked having sex and he and his girlfriend agreed that he had a larger than average size penis. So we moved our conversation over to the instant messaging app Kik. And one morning I wake up to a message from this guy and it's a video. It's a video of him masturbating while talking dirty about his girlfriend who was visible sort of in the corner of the video screen. She's naked and she's asleep. And I responded and I was like, do not send me images like that ever without asking my permission first. And he seemed annoyed, turned off maybe at like, being in a sexual dynamic with someone who he would need to ask for consent from first. And I was like, yeah, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Like this relationship between us fizzled out very quickly after that. And I was like, you know what? It's just men. I started to get disgusted at the very idea of dating a man, let alone having sex with a man. And it went way beyond that. Like even friendly flirtation from men was starting to make my skin crawl. And let me tell you that in my life, the descent for me to get to this place was like a long, steep fall down because I was a woman who loved men. I loved penises. I genuinely enjoyed giving blowjobs. If I had a hookup and the only thing that happened was a blowjob, I was good to go. I would seek out those kinds of hookups. And now I couldn't even watch a porn if a guy was on the screen. I don't have words to put to it. Like, How do you explain what it feels like to be genuinely repulsed by something that you used to genuinely desire. Okay, I just need to start dating women, I said. This time, only to myself, and not in the form of a question. So I went back to the Google Play Store, I deleted the threesome app, and for maybe the one millionth time in my life, I downloaded OkCupid. But for the first time in my life, I created my OkCupid profile as a woman who was seeking only other people who did not define their gender as in any way masculine. I started chatting with a bunch of different women and it was going pretty well. I mean, I was really scared because it was my first time doing this, but I was enjoying myself, you know, and finally I scheduled my very first date with another woman and I was like stoked. Um, she was also another black woman. So I was extra stoked about that. She had like short hair that she wore natural. She was a really sharp dresser. She was really funny and cute and she wore glasses and I know that it sounds like I'm just describing myself, but I swear that she <laughs> did not look just like me. And I was like, this could really be something great. You know, she was a flight attendant, so she was expecting to be in and out of Boston over the next couple of weeks. And I was like, this could work. This could be something super great. So we scheduled our date to meet up at this place called Bella Luna, which was a restaurant that in COVID times just closed in Jamaica Plain in Boston. Now the first time that I had ever gone to Bella Luna was about six years prior to this. A friend of mine had invited me there because they were having a beer garden party on their patio, and she invited me to go, but the only problem was that I don't drink beer. It makes me sick. So I get to this beer garden party and I ask the waiter if they can bring me something that's sort of like beer. You know, I was like, I want it to kind of look like beer and feel like beer, and I'd like it to be served in a pint glass. And he came back with a hard cider. And I know that this sounds dumb, but like that was my first time ever having a hard cider. And I was like, this is great. Finally, it felt like I had a way of participating in this thing, hanging out, having a beer that like All these other people get to participate in and seem to really like, and I had never been able to do it before. And going on this first date with a woman, it kind of felt like that. I'm not saying that men are like beer and women are like cider. And if you can't have the real thing, go for the second best. Like genuinely, I felt like maybe dating women is my way to date, my way to do a thing that everybody else seems to enjoy that I really hated doing. So we get to Bella Luna, we get a table, we both ordered ciders, and I was like, that's kind of cute. Um, I ordered the hot wings and I was excited about that because it was one of my favorite things on the menu. And we're having a great time. Like this girl is just as cute and funny and smart in person as she was on the app. Um, it was trivia night at the bar that night. So we decided to play trivia and our waitress is like back and forth from our table helping us out with our trivia because we were really bad at it. We're having a great time. And all of a sudden, my date turns to me and she goes, did you see Katie's nipples? And I was like, who the fuck is Katie? And she's like, (laughs) the waitress. You can see her nipples through her t-shirt because she's not wearing a bra. I think she's doing it on purpose. I think she keeps coming back and forth from the table because she wants us to look at them. Let me call her back over here so that you can see them. And I was like, no, no, I don't want you... To call the waitress over to the table so that I can objectify her body with you? Like, these are conversations that I was used to having with garbage trash men, and here I am on my very first date with another woman, I'm telling her not to look at someone else's tits? Like, what is this? The date just like went downhill from there. She continued to call the waitress back and forth from the table and stare directly at her breasts the entire time. She was like unabashedly flirting with the bartender and trying to squeeze out every free drink from him that she could. She excused herself to the bathroom when the bill came and then Looked surprised when she got back to the table and I hadn't paid for her half of it. And then as we were leaving, she like feigned ignorance at services like Lyft and Uber and asked me if I could give her a ride back to her hotel room. I don't know if she was like trying to hook up or she just wanted a free ride. But I was like, listen, lady, I'm going back to my house and you're going. I don't care where. See you never. I really tried not to be discouraged by this date. I still chatted with other women. I went on a couple of other dates. But eventually, I was just like, I just am not feeling anything. And I started to think to myself, maybe the problem is not men. And maybe the problem is not women. Maybe I don't know what the problem is. Or maybe I am the problem maybe I should just not be dating right now. So I deleted OkCupid. I deleted any other dating app that I had for my phone. And I was like, I'm just going to take a break. That was a year and a half ago. And I have not dated since then. I have not had sex since then. I have not kissed anyone since then. And I really have not wanted to. Up until a couple of weeks ago, I started to feel like maybe, maybe I'm ready to date again, which is amazing timing because we're in the middle of a global pandemic and you know, you can't go to restaurants, uh, so you can't really go on dates, and it's not safe to share air with a stranger or go in public with more than 50% of your face showing. So you definitely can't really be kissing anybody, but at least I want to. And it feels really, really good to want to. But I have not downloaded any apps yet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank boy I got real bitch problems. I got real bitch problems. I got real bitch problems, real bitch problems, I got real bitch problems, I got real bitch problems, shit got real quick problems, I got real bitch problems, quit calling my
3: phone, you turn up.
0: This is Risk. This is TT the Artist behind me now. And we just heard from Teresa Okokin. You can find Teresa at teresaokokin.com. Before that, a little interstitial that Jeff Barr put together, a clip or two from that movie, I think it's on Netflix, called The Social Dilemma about all this social media and how it's affecting our psychology. Jeff had put together about five clips of quotes from that movie and I kept having him trim it down until it was just like one and a half quotes because I found them all so depressing. And folks, don't forget this week's Patreon bonus is a check-in that I recorded on Inauguration Day, personal thoughts and feelings on where we're at now. And don't miss out on tons of bonus content, stories, interviews, anecdotes... By helping us out this year and becoming a member at patreon.com risk. It means so very much to us. It's incredibly necessary to help keep the show running. This week, we want to give a little shout out to our latest Patreon member, MJ Lee. We always give a shout-out to anyone giving $25 or more per month. So thank you so much, MJ. And also, folks, don't forget, if you want to make a one-time donation, you can do that at paypal.me slash risk show. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not you collect information filling out your own photo album and you're keeping track of all the characters there's romance there's scandalous family secrets it feels like a really fun play or movie and i've only made it through like five scenes but i am told you could crack the case All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
2: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Our
0: final story on this week's episode comes to us from Mike Bryant, who was in New Zealand doing the risk live stream. This was when I was home in Ohio for my father's funeral this past summer, and Brad and Cindy were hosting that particular live stream. I, I was blown away when I heard this story. You know, earlier in the episode, I was talking about gay men and emotionally intelligent communication. Well, wait till you hear this one. You can find Mike on Instagram at One Hat Matter, and uh, here he is now, Mike Bryan, with a story we call "Keep On Fucking Dancing."
4: I got real bitch problems. Shit got real quick, got real got real got real quick Woo! Woo.
5: In New Zealand, turning 18 is like turning 21 in America. You're able to drink, you're able to buy porn, you're able to buy a lotto ticket, all of this stuff. So it's the, it's the birthday that people really look forward to in New Zealand. And for me, I was so excited (laughs) to be turning 18. I, I had a plan. I was gonna go into the capital city of Wellington. I was going to buy a lotto ticket. I was going to buy porn, uh, and I was going to buy cigarettes, and I was going to go to a gay bar. in In Kapiti, where I grew up, at the time there weren't any gay bars. There were barely any bars, so it was quite it was quite lonely to grow up queer in Carpety. I had a fairly easy experience when I came out. I first came out when I was eleven to my friends and family no to my friends (laughs) and I came out to my family when I was 16 and I never had any grief I never had any bullying it was a very easy experience for me and I was very very lucky but it still felt very lonely I didn't have anyone that could relate to me on that level and so going to going to a gay bar was like it was supposed to be this golden palace. I was very excited. I was going to find a place where I I belonged. And so on my 18th birthday, I went into town. I bought a lotto ticket, which didn't win anything. Um, I bought porn. It was called jockstrap. It had a sporting <laughs> metaphor. I don't remember the sport uh, or anything else about it. Um, I was a bit distracted when I watched it. So... <laughs> I bought cigarettes, and I made my way to the gay bar. The bar is called Ivy, and at the time it was up three flights of stairs. It was at the very top, and the stairway was very long, and very narrow, (laughs) and very dark. And so I vividly remember climbing these long, dark stairs (laughs) to get to the bar, and it was just, they were so steep. And I'm so unfit, and I was a smoker at the time, so it's you know, step, puff, step, puff, step, <laughs> puff. And then I go in the door, and it is dingier than I expected it to be. I expect it to be gold lame and chandelier and sparkles and drag queens and Instead, it was very long, very narrow, very dark, (laughs) a little bit dingy. Even though it was three stories up, it felt like it should be underground. (laughs) It it had that feeling. But I didn't care. I was so happy and I was so excited and I just, I was ready. I I, I had all these thoughts in my mind like I was going to, find a guy I was going to have some casual sex and then the next morning I was going to freak out about it but pretend to be real cool you know <laughs> I, I had all these plans and I had a beer and I was standing at the bar and drinking my beer and I turn around and I see this guy he's with his friends and he is beautiful he is absolutely gorgeous and I see him notice me and he leans down and he says something to his friend and his friend turns and looks at me <laughs> and then they turn back and talk to each other. So they're obviously talking about me and I am so cool. <laughs> I'm you know drinking my beer, pretending not to notice, but I'm watching out of my peripheral, he looks at me again, says something to his friend. And then he starts walking over to me and my heart is a mile a minute. I am so excited and so scared (laughs) and it's thrilling. And this is what I wanted when I went out to the bar and he comes over to me and he's tall and he's muscly and his dark hair and slight stubble and He stands so close to me and I can smell him and it's like the sandalwood sort of woody smell and his teeth are luminous. (laughs) You can almost (laughs) see them in the dark. And he leans down and he whispers in my ear, fat people aren't really welcome in the gay community. You should leave. Whoa. So I did. (laughs) I felt I'd wanted this for so long and then I finally got to this place thinking that I was going to be welcomed and allowed and I wasn't, I was rejected just like I felt in a lot of other places in my life. Mm. So I left and I knew that I would never ever go back there. This place that I'd wanted to go for most of my life decided I'd never go back there. A few years later, about two years later, I was had just left my job at McDonald's and mm-hmm. I was broke. <laughs> I still needed cigarettes and cigarettes were getting more and more expensive. I was behind in rent. I really needed a job. And I made a new friend. This new friend said that they were hiring. He was the manager of a place and they were hiring. And it turned out to be Ivy Bar. (laughs) And he asked if I would like a job there. And I was so broke. (laughs) I was so broke. I was going to be kicked out of my flat. I had no option. So I took the job. (sighs) Going back was horrifying. It was one of the most scary things that I've ever experienced. I was standing outside, I was chain-smoking, I was shaking. It was really scary, but I needed the money. I was down to my last couple of ciggies, and I needed money. So I started walking up the stairs. And while I was walking, going up the stairs, step, what are you doing, step, you're too fat, step, you're ugly, step, no one likes you, step, you don't belong. All these things going around my head, I go inside and I don't remember much of my first shift. I don't remember much of working, but I remember afterwards, all the workers had a cigarette in the bar. I was given cigarettes because I was out. They bought me beers. I found my family. I found people that were so welcoming and so kind. And I started to feel that thing that I'd wanted to feel all those years ago. I wanted to belong, and I started to feel like I belonged. A couple of months into working there, it was a very, very dead night, very quiet. No one was in there except the workers. And so a couple of the guys started to dance. They got on the dance floor and they took their shirts off and they were dancing. And I was standing behind the bar with a Coke. (laughs) I didn't want to go because I felt welcome, but I still don't want to take my shirt off in public. I don't want people to see my fat wobbling around all over the show. And then one of them comes up to me and he says, come dance, come have fun, come dance with me. And I said, no, 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 no. He said, no, 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 come on, you're with friends. Come dance. So I took my shirt off and I went out and I started dancing. (laughs) About minutes of dancing turned around finally see a customer walk through young guy with his friend he sees us dancing he turns to his friend and pretends to vomit <laughs> at the sight of me dancing and i decided to keep on fucking dancing because i belonged there and i just felt welcome and i felt loved and i felt like i belonged so much so that in 2017 I entered a competition, which was basically a beauty competition, which was Mr. Gay Wellington. And Mm -hmm. I, for the swimwear outfit, I just wore a towel and a couple of leaves and Mm -hmm. I won. Uh, And then the year after that, I entered Mr. Gay New Zealand and I came second. (laughs) um, And that was me getting uh, that validation that I was a valued person in the community despite how I look and that you don't need to be conventionally attractive to be a part of a community and for Mr Gay New Zealand I wrote a article an opinion piece basically telling the story and I ended it with this is for the people who feel like they're at a party that they don't belong to and you can consider this your official invitation to the party and let's go dance thank you Hey, awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Mike. That was amazing.
0: For this week's episode, folks, this is Cool and the Gang behind me now, and we just heard from Mike Bryant, who you can find on Instagram, at One Hat Matter. Now, I am not supposed to repeat announcements in the same episode. However, it is so important to me <laughs> that you send us your anecdotes, maybe a little moment where you were suddenly overwhelmed with sadness and tears started to flow. Maybe an incident where you said exactly the wrong thing and you always laugh to think back on it. Or a time you got the pants scared off of you for just a little while. You know, just focus on one incident, about three and a half to four and a half minutes, and you can find the submissions page at risk-show.com slash submissions. Don't forget the next Risk live stream show is on Friday, February 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern eastern and we're doing it in conjunction with one of our favorite storytelling organizations first person arts in philly so tickets are at risk-show.com/tour again that's friday february 19th at 7 p.m. eastern What's going on over at the storystudio.org? Well, on February 9th and February 11th, Julia Whitehouse is teaching a two day online storytelling for personal growth workshop. On February 20th and 21st, Amy Sallaway is teaching a two day storytelling workshop for performance, like the stories people share on Risk. That is all at thestorystudio.org. And if you want to do a little one on one storytelling training with me, I'm at kevinallison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Teresa Okokin. <laughs> whose, whose story is 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 finished exactly what I just hear about? from a perspective from a woman, I just stalk, just finished, but from a bath, but from a and from AMS, but from a but from AMS, but, from, AMS, but from, AMS, talk from a woman's talk, but I just about <laughs> story. Who's about a about about it is about about it is about about it is about about it is about it is about is exactly effective. and respect from a mouth in just